0: Hello and welcome to History Tea Time. I'm Lindsay Holliday and I'm spilling the tea on history. Queen Elizabeth I's 16 Suitors and Lovers Part 2 Courting a Queen Elizabeth I of England and Ireland reigned for 45 years over a golden age of peace, prosperity, and flourishing art and culture and she shocked the medieval world by doing it all without a man. But that certainly wasn't for lack of proposals. In the last episode, we met the suitors of her youth, whose ambitions landed Elizabeth in the Tower. At her coronation, the new queen declared that she was married to her kingdom and would live and die a virgin, but nobody believed her. Today, we'll meet the English lords and foreign royals who fell over themselves in their attempts to win the Queen's hand. Through it all, one man, Robert Dudley, remained by her side. We'll take a closer look at their intimate friendship and investigate the claim that they might have had a secret love child. In 1558, the question of the Queen's marriage loomed large, but who should she select as a husband? Most medieval kings married a foreign princess, but as Elizabeth was a woman, she was expected to obey her husband, so basically let him rule the country. The English were strongly against being ruled by a foreigner. Elizabeth's elder sister Mary's husband, King Philip II of Spain, had been hated. Personally, Elizabeth was keen that her husband should not be called away to govern another nation, but remain in England with her. She could instead decide to wed an English noble, but this too presented problems. Her father broke with tradition and married four different English noblewomen. Their families jostled for honors and positions, alienating other aristocrats and causing strife in the kingdom. Despite the conundrum, plenty of foreign royals and local nobles made plays to win the queen's hand. The Locals English nobles had the advantage of flirting with the Queen face to face. Elizabeth was her father's daughter, and she enjoyed the attentions of attractive men with shapely legs. Courtiers flirted shamelessly with Her Majesty and stared daggers at any other man who might gain her attention. Local aristocrats didn't have the unlimited funds of foreign royals. Many put themselves into bankruptcy in fruitless attempts to impress her. Henry Fitzalan, Earl of Arundel, was named for his godfather, Henry VIII. He was a page at Henry's court and was Lord Chamberlain to Edward VI. He initially backed Jane Grey, but double-crossed her when it became clear that Mary would win. He held a number of positions in Mary's court and was one of the most powerful men in England. Arundel saw a great opportunity in marrying Elizabeth. He spent cartloads of money to entertain her at his country estate. Elizabeth didn't trust Arundel, but she could not openly slight him. She told him she would consider his suit, but in the end, she ghosted him. She was right not to trust him. Years later, Arundel was involved in a plot to assassinate Elizabeth. He was placed under house arrest, where he died at the age of 67. Sir William Pickering had been knight-marshal to Henry VIII and Edward VI ambassador to France. Queen Mary sent him on a secret mission to Germany before her death, and at the time of Elizabeth's ascension, he was making his way home, but had fallen ill in Flanders. William was 36, tall, handsome, and had a reputation for having enjoyed the intimacy of many great ladies. He was highly recommended to Elizabeth, and many ambassadors wrote home that the Queen was likely to marry him upon his return to London. The Earl of Arundel felt so threatened by William's imminent arrival that he was ready to flee the realm should Elizabeth accept his proposal. But William's return was anticlimactic. The Queen didn't jump at the chance to marry him, and he sulked back home to Yorkshire. He lived to the age of 58 and left his property to his illegitimate daughter. The foreigners, many kings and princes from other lands put forth their suit to marry the queen, or rather their ambassadors did. These representatives flattered Elizabeth and presented her with lavish gifts, all while praising the numerous virtues, real or fabricated, of their respective potentates. Elizabeth was careful never to promise too much. Though steadfast in her personal resolve to remain single, she always left open the possibility that she might change her mind. She kept them on the hook, dangling herself as a prize, in order to keep open friendly relationships with the many powerful nations of Europe. James Hamilton was the eldest son of the Earl of Arran, a powerful Scottish lord. Mary, Queen of Scots, inherited her throne at just six days old, when her father, King James V, died after a battle. The Earl of Arran was her regent and effective ruler of Scotland for much of her minority. He was a descendant of King James II, and as Mary's closest living relative, was her heir presumptive. Mary went to France to wed King Francois II, and the Duke sent his son James with her as head of the Scotch Guard. While in the violently Catholic nation, James and his father both publicly converted to Protestantism. James had to flee France in disguise. On his way home, he stopped at Hampton Court and met the newly crowned Queen Elizabeth in person in order to present himself as a suitor his father was eager to ally Scotland with Protestant England rather than Catholic France, but Elizabeth turned James down. A union was also considered between James and Elizabeth's nearest Protestant relative, Catherine Gray, Jane Grey's younger sister, but that also fell through. James returned to Scotland, as did the widowed Mary Queen of Scots. His father proposed a marriage between the cousins, and James had real affection for Mary, but she did not return it. James began to suffer mental illness, what would likely today be diagnosed as bipolar disorder or schizophrenia. He believed that many of his rival lords were using witchcraft against him. His father and later his younger brothers kept him imprisoned for the rest of his life. He died at 72. Eric XIV, King of Sweden, had been interested in marrying Elizabeth since before either of them were monarchs. He was on his way to England to propose to her in person when he was informed of his father's death and had to return home to be crowned. His regnal number was 14, based on the partly fictitious History of Sweden, written in 1554, which included a number of mythological kings. There were only six verifiable King Erics before him. He continued his suit for Queen Elizabeth, as well as for Mary Queen of Scots, Renata of Lorraine, Anna of Saxony, and Christine of Hesse. But in reality he was more interested in his mistresses than in a foreign wife. He had six children out of wedlock and eventually married his mistress Korin Mundstatter. But the union put Eric even more at odds with the Swedish nobility. The king displayed signs of mental illness and violence culminating in the massacre of the powerful Sturr family. The nobility reached their limit, and Eric was imprisoned by his brother, who was crowned King Joan III. Eric died in prison at 43. Recent examinations of his remains revealed evidence of arsenic poisoning. Frederick II, King of Denmark and Norway, had been put forth as a potential bride for Princess Elizabeth during the reign of her brother, Edward VI. At the time, Frederick was still a prince. He inherited a strong and wealthy double kingdom from his father when he was 24. He started his reign headstrong and jumped into an ill-considered war with Sweden. He was defeated and took a more measured approach to governing. He did, however, continue a cold war with King Eric XIV of Sweden, each competing to see who could trace their lineage back the furthest and build the most magnificent castles. They also competed for the hand of the English queen and tried to one-up each other in her favor. Nothing came of the proposal, though Elizabeth did honor her Danish suitor by making him a Knight of the Garter, while Eric was not given the same honor. Denmark 1, Sweden 0. His ambassadors made inquiries about a number of other royal brides, including Renata of Lorraine, Juliana of Nassau, Mary Queen of Scots, and any available daughter of the Holy Roman Emperor. But Frederick insisted upon meeting his potential brides in person to be sure he liked them. This was a problem as journeys were long and kings weren't in the habit of sending their daughters across borders without a marriage contract. Frederick eventually settled on Sophie of Mecklenburg and the pair had one of the happiest royal marriages in Renaissance Europe. They had seven children, including King Christian IV, who was the longest ruling and considered one of the greatest monarchs in Scandinavian history. Charles II, Archduke of Austria, was the third son of Holy Roman Emperor Ferdinand I, and a first cousin of Philip of Spain. His father negotiated twice to gain Charles the hand of Queen Elizabeth. The Emperor demanded that Elizabeth make Charles her heir in the event that she died childless. This condition and Charles's Catholic faith made the marriage intolerable to Elizabeth. Charles moved on to marry Queen of Scots and then settled down with Maria Anna of Bavaria and had 12 children. He ruled Inner Austria, where he promoted art, science, and education and helped create the Lepetzan horse breed. Charles died at 50, and after the death of his childless nephew, his son became Holy Roman Emperor Ferdinand II. Henri III, King of France, Poland and Grand Duke of Lithuania. As the fourth son of Henri II, he was not expected to inherit the French throne. When he was 19, his mother Catherine de' Medici put him forth as a suitor for 37-year-old Queen Elizabeth. Henri was not excited about the match. He called Elizabeth the public whore and made rude remarks about their age difference. Elizabeth entertained the suit only to upset Philip of Spain, but soon sent the representatives of the impertinent young prince on their way. At 22, Henri was elected king of the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth in exchange for French protection against Russia. A year later, his brother Charles IX died and Henri rushed to France to be crowned king. He married Louise of Lorraine, but preferred the company of his male lovers. Henri's reign occurred during France's bloody wars of religion between Catholics and Protestants. His lack of an heir further fueled the faith factions, who each put forth their own candidates. The Catholic League seized Paris and Henri was forced to flee. On the night before he planned to retake the city, a messenger entered his tent and stabbed him to death. He was 37. The assassin, a Dominican friar, was killed on the spot. The siege on Paris was halted and the people of the city rejoiced, proclaiming Henri's death as an act of God. Kat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. As domestic and foreign suitors came and went, one man remained by Elizabeth's side. Robert Dudley. Four foreign ambassadors offered Robert princesses to get him out of the way. Any of these matches would have been far more than a mere earl could have hoped for, but he declined them all. He had little hope that Elizabeth would ever make an honest man of him, but still he loathed to leave her. Robert seems to have genuinely loved Elizabeth, and remaining in her favor provided him with almost all the wealth and prestige he could desire. She granted him Kenilworth Castle, and he spared no expense entertaining her there. A woman dressed as the mythical Lady of the Lake serenaded Elizabeth from the moat. A sculpture of a giant dolphin with an orchestra on its back floated there, and a troupe of actors dressed as Native Americans, sprites and echoes, amused her. Elizabeth often reassured Robert that if she ever selected a husband, it would be him. The question of whether or not the famous Virgin Queen was truly a virgin was the hottest topic in Europe at the time and continues to intrigue people today. A cult of virginity, similar to that of the Virgin Mary, grew up around the queen. Meanwhile, her Catholic enemies accused her of engaging in filthy lust, which defiled the nation along with her body. Henri IV of France said that one of the greatest questions of Europe was whether Queen Elizabeth was made or no. If there was anyone with whom she might have had sex, it would have been Robert Dudley he was granted rooms adjoining the queens, supposedly with a secret passage between them. But to keep her own virtue above suspicion, the queen paid 500 pounds a year to a groom named Tamworth to be in Robert's bedchamber constantly as a chaperone. Of course, he could have been paid to make himself scarce for an hour or two, but the queen would have been risking everything by going to bed with Robert. Were evidence of an adulterous affair ever made public, any possibility of a foreign marriage alliance would have ceased. Any heir she might ever have would be called into question. And most importantly, her reputation would have been tattered and her public mandate to rule shaken to its core. A bit of a double standard when you consider the many lovers her father took to bed without reproach. In 1561, at the height of her relationship with Robert, the Queen was bedridden with a mysterious illness that caused her body to swell. Many point to this as evidence that the Queen was pregnant, while others argue that as she was surrounded by servants and courtiers 24 hours a day, she would not have been able to conceal a childbirth. Once, while Elizabeth was entertaining the Austrian ambassador, Robert burst in on them and demanded to know if she was a virgin or not. This was almost certainly a bit of theatre to put the diplomat's mind at ease on the issue, as if anyone would have known the answer to that question, it was Robert. Modern observers might imagine that Elizabeth and Robert were intimate in ways that would not have led to pregnancy but 16th century people were ever mindful of the mortal sins such acts were considered. The queen may also have turned discreetly to a midwife for an elixir of birth control, but early methods were far from reliable. Unless some new historic evidence comes to light, Elizabeth and Robert have kept their secrets and we will never know what went on between the sheets of the Virgin Queen. In 1562, Elizabeth fell ill with smallpox. Believing she was about to meet her maker, she made a confession in which she stated that although she loved Robert dearly, as God is her witness, nothing improper had ever passed between them. She also asked the Privy Council to make Robert protector of the realm if she died. The nation dreaded a possible plunge into anarchy, and all were relieved when she recovered. This near miss brought back pressure on the queen to wed and bear a child, and many of her old suitors came back for another try. But Elizabeth had a different idea. Her cousin, Mary Queen of Scots, had recently been widowed. Elizabeth proposed that Mary wed Robert and suggested that their child could be heir to both kingdoms. She did insist that the three of them all live together in England so that she would not be deprived of Robert's company. Robert was created Earl of Leicester so that he would be more attractive to Mary. The Scottish Queen did show interest. As the granddaughter of Henry VIII's older sister, Margaret Tudor, she was next in line to the English throne, and was eager to be named Elizabeth's heir. But Robert refused the menage a trois. Mary went on to wed Henry Stuart, Lord Darnley, against her cousin's advice. She soon regretted it when Henry turned violent and murdered her secretary in front of her henry's bedroom mysteriously exploded and then mary wed james bothwell the man suspected of murdering him she tried to flee and was arrested in england she was held under house arrest for 19 years elizabeth was intensely jealous of robert dudley and could not tolerate his flirtations with other women he mourned the fact that he would never have an heir He did father an illegitimate son with a lady of the Howard family, but he wrote to her sadly that he could never marry her. Instead, he found her an honorable husband and provided for their son, also called Robert. He next had an affair with Lettice Knollys, who very much resembled Elizabeth. She was married to the Earl of Essex. Her husband died while on campaign in Ireland, and rumors of murder, this time by poison, once again circled Robert. He married Latisse and tried to keep it secret from the Queen. She eventually found out and was heartbroken and furious. She banished Latisse from court, and though she kept Robert close, she never forgave him. Latisse did give birth to a son, also named Robert, but he died at just three. Robert loved his wife dearly and was a caring stepfather to her four children. When England's ally, Prince William of Orange, was assassinated by an agent of Philip II, Elizabeth sent Robert to the Netherlands to take control in her name. The Dutch celebrated his arrival and offered him the position of governor-general, which he accepted. Elizabeth was furious that Robert had taken more power than she had offered. She withdrew her support, undermining his control, and campaigned to ward off the encroaching Spanish. Robert returned to England in disgrace and financial ruin. Clearly, Elizabeth was not over their breakup. To add insult to injury, she began to seriously consider the advances of a new suitor. Francois, Duke of Anjou, was the youngest son of Catherine de' Medici and brother of King Henry III of France. He was 24 and Elizabeth 46, but he began to send her very steamy letters. He came to England in person to woo her and she was beyond flattered. She called him her frog after a frog-shaped earring he presented her. She accepted Francois's proposal and gave him a ring to seal their betrothal. The queen was optimistic for a powerful alliance against Philip of Spain, a happy union, and even children. But public opinion was against the foreign match, especially because Francois was Catholic. A pamphlet circulated condemning the prince and Elizabeth ordered its writer to have his hands chopped off. But she knew she couldn't go against the people's wishes. So with a heavy heart, she broke up with Francois. He left their final meeting in grave disappointment and flung her ring from his finger. She did lend him financial support in his attempt to overtake the Netherlands. But he bungled the operation returned to france in disgrace and died of malaria at 29 elizabeth was heartbroken when she heard the news in 1587 an englishman calling himself arthur dudley was rescued from a shipwreck off the spanish coast he claimed to be the illegitimate son of queen elizabeth and robert dudley and he resembled Robert greatly. He was in his mid-twenties, just the age a child born during the queen's mysterious swelling sickness might have been. Arthur was taken to the court of Philip II and interrogated. He gave detailed accounts of his life, birth in a royal palace, being whisked away by the queen's lifelong friend, Cat Ashley, and taken to be raised as a gentleman by her servant in London his adoptive father confessed on his deathbed Arthur's true royal origins. The young man then went adventuring to France and Spain. King Philip was not convinced, but ordered that the possible son of his enemy should not be allowed to get away. Arthur was never heard from again. As there is no body to test for DNA or other corroborating evidence, whether or not Arthur might really have been the Virgin Queen's love child remains an intriguing mystery. The Catholic crowned heads of Europe watched with growing indignation as Queen Elizabeth established a Protestant-leaning policy of religious tolerance in England. The Pope declared that any Catholic who killed the English Queen would be innocent of sin. Several assassination attempts were foiled by Elizabeth's Secret Service. Mary, Queen of Scots, still imprisoned, was found to have been involved in one of the schemes. Mary was found guilty and beheaded. The execution further outraged Catholic Europe and old suitor Philip II of Spain came for Elizabeth. 30 years after being displaced as King of England, he invaded the country with the might of the Spanish Armada. Robert Dudley was by the Queen's side as she delivered a stirring speech urging her troops on to victory. Philip thought it would be an easy win. His navy was twice the size of Elizabeth's, but his ships were large and slow, and hers small and fast. The English attack scattered the Spanish ships, which were then wrecked in bad weather. The defeat of the Armada was Elizabeth's finest hour. Philip had to content himself with ruling the vast Spanish empire without England which he did for another decade, before dying at 71. Queen Elizabeth paraded back to London in victory, with Robert Dudley by her side, looking for all the world like her king. For the last few weeks of his life, he dined privately with the Queen, a rare honour. Robert died of stomach cancer at 56. Elizabeth was devastated and locked herself in her room for days. Her counselors finally had to break down the door. She kept his last letter in her bedside treasure box. Even in her old age, Elizabeth was a woman who never tired of flattery, and the young, handsome social climbers at court were happy to flirt and compliment their way to the top she had a number of favorites including explorer walter raleigh who named the east coast of north america virginia in her honor when he secretly wed without the queen's permission he and his bride were banished from court robert dudley's stepson robert Devereux, earl of essex also served the queen but he let his head get too big and in the end he lost it Queen Elizabeth died at 69, and courtiers rushed north to inform the son of Mary Queen of Scots, James VI of Scotland, that he was now also James I of England. Although the Virgin Queen probably didn't leave any children behind to continue her line, she instead left the legacy of a 45-year reign and a golden era of peace, prosperity, and flourishing art and culture for her nation. She is considered one of the greatest monarchs in British history, and she never let a man get in the way of that. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. I'll be putting out new episodes every Tuesday, revisiting and revamping my most popular YouTube videos, unburying some of my favorite hidden gems, and adding even more fascinating information for your listening pleasure. Want some visuals with your history? Then check out my YouTube channel, History Tea Time with Lindsay Holiday, where you can find hundreds of videos about queens of the world, royal history, women's history, and more. You can also follow History Tea Time on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network, Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to other great shows like Queen's Podcast, Ancient History Fangirl, Redacted History, and more.